Today's show is sponsored by ObservePoint. That moment when executives, peers, competitors are questioning the data analysts and scientists' reports, their job and credibility are in question. ObservePoint gives data professional confidence in their data and insights by automatically auditing your data collection for errors across the entire website, testing your most important pages and user paths for functionality and accurate data collection alerting you immediately when something goes wrong, tracking your data quality and QA process over time. You can request a demo at www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today to learn more about ObservePoint's full data governance capability. Again, that website is www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today. Today, a podcast series of focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. Hey, Samir, what's up? Hey, Jeremy, how's it going? Summertime now. Summertime, but summertime's almost over. Um, I'm happy and excited and sad about it. It's one of those things to where I feel like things should slow down and I should have more time to myself, but it never happens that way or I pick up a new hobby or something, but um, excited to see where things are going, you know, excited to see the, yeah, even the workforce. How was, uh, how was your trip? Uh, how was your trip to Hawaii? Maui. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I, 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 okay. So I had this philosophy that for everybody, if you're going to work your ass off and you're going to work as hard as possible, you got to have some downtime for health. You got to make sure you unplug, step away, and do the right thing because if not the sanity will not be there you, you can you will burn out that candle will only burn for so long so it's one of those things to where you right. gotta find time to get away so you you good that's good yeah yes yeah. likewise you had a couple of weeks time off and just spend time with kids and now we're starting to figure out like the school part right everyone uh, is expected yeah. to go back to school that'll be very interesting oh yeah <laughs> Well, speaking of getting back into things, and everything, yeah. yeah, and speaking of getting back into things, you know, one of the things that's great today is we have we have another guest, and we've been really excited to get some really great guests on the podcast and stuff. And so we would like to introduce today, Mr. Mike Fong. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Samir. Not bad at all. How are you? Fantastic. So obviously, your accent's a little bit different. Um, where are you hailing out from today? Uh, so today I'm actually in Watford, which is a town just north of London, UK. But I'm actually from Manchester, if uh, anyone's wondering about the uh, the slightly strange accent. Yeah, and and uh, I, I probably wouldn't be able to spell Watford or one of those things. It's one of those, uh, <laughs> you know, me coming from Texas, it's one of those you don't really know how to properly pronounce the, the different cities in the UK, but it's pretty cool mm -hmm. stuff. So very it's happy. The, uh, it's the counties that will confuse the heck out of you. <laughs> right. So it's like going up to the Boston area and trying to pronounce Worcester or Worcestershire, you know, one of those. Exactly. Things. Exactly. <laughs> well, let me give you, let me give a quick intro. So you enjoyed the, you enjoyed your Euro football this year? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you into a, football was, at all? It was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a nice, uh, a nice release after the year of all the terrible, you know, year and a half nearly that the world has had it was just nice to have joy yeah. 
our screens. Yeah. Apart from losing the final, but you know, I, know. I, I was. I was. One, I, was. I hope no one beats me up for saying this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Well, let, let, let me start real fast with the intro. Um, let me give uh, Mike's intro, and then Mike, what we can do is right after that intro. Um, let's go ahead and start with uh, if you want to do your elevator pitch of Observe Points. Everybody kind of knows who you work for and what it's about, and so on. If that's cool, um, yeah, put, sure. put you on the spot. So let me start with this. So Mike <laughs> Fong is a solutions engineer at Observe Point. So as a solutions engineer. Um, on Observe Points and MIA team uh, based out of London. So Mike's been an integral part of ensuring that users from the Observe Point are getting the highest quality data from their marketing technologies. So with over 10 years in the analytics world, Mike's an expert in when it comes to data analytics, SQL, problem solving, and just good vibes overall. So it's great to have somebody of equal nerdiness talent to nerd out with us today. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mike, for joining. So let's give the quick... Tell us about ObservePoint. Yeah, so ObservePoint was founded 13 years ago by John Pastana. The name might ring a bell. He actually created Superstats, which became Omniture, which is now Adobe Analytics. After ah. selling, yeah, right? Ah, yeah. so uh, some people call him the godfather, but uh, I just call him boss. Um, so after selling to uh, Adobe, John actually founded ObservePoint, and our mission statement is to bring process and quality assurance to all JavaScript tagging. So you think about you know, tags being broken or tags being missing on a data layer you know, being broken and data being wrong. ObservePoint will actually provide you the platform to do automation testing, unit testing, regression testing on all of that stuff. So that's the elevator pitch. Now, invest. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so go for it, Samir. Do you want to start? Yeah, no, I was going to say uh, really quickly is... Uh, Mike, you know, I was. Uh, we were spending time on your LinkedIn profile. We looked at it. You have worked in multiple organizations, and um, it's interesting joining an organization that's focused on uh, tag management. At V, both Jeremy and I have worked with several different tag management companies in past. Like uh, Segment, for example, comes to my mind, and work with uh, a couple other. So, in in your journey working for a solution provider that focuses purely on and I know your offering is much bigger than that, but focusing on tag management as kind of the foundational piece of it. Uh, tell me more about uh, you know why you chose to move your career in this direction and, and talk a little bit more about your career in general. Yeah, well, I guess uh, my career almost actually didn't start as it is now because um, huh. I actually nearly dropped out of college or dropped out of uni in the first year. Um, Unlike the, uh, the Silicon Valley tech entrepreneurs, it wasn't because I was uh, building superstats at Omniture. It was, you know, I actually, uh, I, I nearly, nearly couldn't hack it, but through the encouragement of a good friend, I actually stuck it through and uh, we graduated together. So I actually attended his Zoom wedding um, last month and he's Greek, so I call it the big fat Greek Zoom wedding. Um, so <laughs> shout out to my friend George if you if you if you ever listen to this, uh, thank you very much for driving me on. Nice. Um, so yeah, um, in terms of solutions engineering, I think um, for me the story was organic, and I think that's the case of many solutions engineers, especially at you know what you might consider small to medium tech firms. Actually, we um, in the EMEA team here about five years ago, we had the sales team, which were you know, non-technical 
uh, a guy called Jacob. And then we had the customer success managers, which included myself. Uh, so sometimes just you know, on an ad hoc basis, Jacob would say, hey, Mike, um, uh, you know, prospective customers ask me a question. I don't know what to answer because I don't know the answer. So Mike, mm-hmm. could you call and help me out here? And that became more and more frequent. And we saw actually the benefits because when you're able to nerd out uh, and geek out as we're doing today, you're able yep. to really, um, the prospective customer really understands what you do and it, it just makes that so much easier. Um, so that's kind of how it came about. It, it was a, a very organic transition from customer success over to sales engineering. Gotcha. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and along the same lines, uh, uh, one quick thing I was going to say is, you know, we, we, Jeremy and I both have worked with a variety of different solution engineering and in, in different companies and uh, kind of w- what's required. So let's say who's listening on the call today, right? And they would like to know, hey, I would like to become a solution engineer or I would like to navigate my career in the direction of solution engineer. What uh, advice would you give them? Like, how would they think about becoming a solution engineer? Kind of what's required and, you know, what are the special skills that they need to acquire? Yeah, so I think um, the the engineering part of the job is a bit of a, it makes it sound scarier than it needs to be, right? Um, I don't have an engineering background, so... I, I don't do an extensive amount of coding. I don't, I don't mess around cars or, or oil rigs. Um, what I do do is I communicate. Um, I communicate value to business stakeholders. So as part of a sales team, the solutions engineer's job, I like to think of it as I talk geek to geek. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to communicate clearly the, the use cases and the technical benefits to the, the stakeholders who are, you know, at the coal face, you know, if we're selling observe point to a client who is having problems with the Adobe Analytics or the Google Analytics, um, my job, the solutions engineer's job is to have a, a really, really uh, wide understanding of the space uh, he or she is operating in, to understand and empathize with the issues and the needs that the prospective client is facing, and then to be able to communicate the solution and to communicate the value and benefits to all variety of stakeholders. Um, you know, it could be saying, you know, we will crawl your site and we found that 10% of images are pages are missing Google Analytics. You know, that's what I would say to a Google Analytics practitioner. But mm-hmm. I might, you know, to a business stakeholder, I might say, did you know that a lot of your investment uh, in GA is actually going down a black hole because 10% of your data is missing? I've said that before. I've said that before. Well, the thing is, um, my previous role, so I, I Full disclosure: I work at Adobe, and uh, my previous role at Adobe is actually a solutions was a solutions consultant. Um, I think the naming of solutions consultant versus solutions engineer is synonymous with each other. They're basically the exact same role. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I've been in those conversations. I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of it really is driving that value and really trying to get the customer to understand. It's not just about the widgets. Let's not just go through the laundry list of, you know, bullet points of here's everything that the product does. Let's try to figure out how those products solve a problem for you, right? And how can those things match to your goals, right? Exactly. Yeah. But then also be able to go to two to 300 level deep on a product and stuff. Exactly. So exactly. Very cool stuff. And and Samir, you're going to say something? 
No, no, yeah, that's uh, I I was uh, exactly expecting the same answer from both of you guys since you guys have been in that role. Uh, <laughs> just trying to give our audience the flavor for what's required to become a solution engineer and what are the exact steps someone can take. Uh, you know, thank thank you, Mike, for answering that question. You provided a really good context. Uh, uh, Jeremy, you can go ahead for next one, and then we can uh, we can take it from there. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, we're talking about debuggers, right? Um, debuggers and tag audit tools in the market. So we're talking about the GA debugger, tag inspector, you know, we're talking Adobe obviously has one too. So yep. when we're talking about observepoint.com, how is that different? You know, how, yeah. how, how can you describe it? And the thing is, let's do the basic uh, understanding. If you want to get a little more complicated on the secondary answer, let's do that right. too. Yeah, sure. All right. So ObservePoint, um, as a company, we provide a few solutions. Um, our free debugger is a Chrome extension, and that's kind of what you would line up against the GA debugger and the Adobe debugger. Um, the specific thing about the GA debugger is that it only debugs your GA tags. Really? Uh, right? That's sarcasm. That's sarcasm. Right? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> equally uh, with Adobe, like the same. It, only, it goes yep. into great detail with your Adobe tags, right? Yes. Um, Observe point, um, you know, our goal is to be agnostic across the market. So actually our debugger will help all of our, uh, you know, clients and potential clients um, actually debug all their tags. So we actually have over, you know, a thousand tags or the most common tags in our library. And you can download our tag debugger for free and you can just see what's on the page. You can see all the variables and the key value pairs inside. Um, so that I'd say that's the key difference is that breadth of the... So let, let's let's make sure that our audience understands because we have some audience members who will say, what what are you talking about, guys? Debugger. I mean, what is debugging? It Is it really bugs? Is it a, are, are we talking about some virus or something? <laughs> you know, so let, let, let's make sure we explain if you give us your definition there. You know, what does debugging actually do? What is debugging? My definition. I, I haven't thought of this one. Um, so... When you're working as a digital analyst um, using Google or Adobe or some other platform, mm -hmm. and you just want to you want to manually check that your page is sending the right data, yep. you open up a debugger, and that debugger would visualize for you exactly what data and what third party third party packages are sent. Yep. Now, in GA and Adobe, it. it focuses on those proprietary, whereas ObservePoint is, as I said, agnostic. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. So th think of it as like a scan tool also, right? Something go in and scan to see what's working and what's not working. And that, that also might be another way to simplify. Because like I said, at the end of the day, what we want to make sure is that we are not feeding into the frenzy of acronym and random mm -hmm. words that nobody knows except us. Because in the marketing and data world, we love making shit up. We love making up words that nobody else understands except yeah. us. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think important, like because we have uh, we have audiences that are also marketers that practice marketing on a day to day basis. They're yeah. more on the business side, less on the technical side. Uh, so it's important to clarify what we're talking about. But also important is Mike. I know you mentioned that you guys are agnostic of a specific uh, platform, a marketing or a sales platform that has tags on the website. But I do have come across some similar solution, like for example. Tag Inspector is the one that I frequently use and that comes to my mind. How do you guys differentiate from this uh, crowded market? Yeah, so um, I would say that, you know, we've, our you know, founder, John Pastana, he, you know, having that experience to have John at the head, 
that is a huge differentiator. Um, just his knowledge of the JavaScript tagging world, his knowledge and his ability to, you know, to work together with organizations like Adobe, Telium, and, you know, to, to that network, it really keeps us close to what our customers are facing. Um, you know, I would say Tag Inspector are, you know, they're a very great company as well. Um, they are, you know, one of our competitors. Um, in differentiation, um, we are, you know, we've got over, you know, 300 customers at the moment, and, you know, we really are an enterprise. And I'm no, with no disrespect to Tag Inspector, you know, we have massive faith in the robustness of our platform and our you know, enterprise client base really shows that. Okay. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with good competition, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. More competition, welcome, more opportunity, right? I always say that if there is more competition, people say, <laughs> oh, there's competition. For me, the fact that the competition exists is the fact that there is an opportunity in the market for more players to be there, right? Because yeah, one yeah. person cannot serve everyone. So competition. Exactly. And actually for the first, I'd say for the first seven or so years of observance existence, there actually wasn't competition because, you know, John, John was the first to market. Mm -hmm. um, and so to actually have to actually see the demand growing to actually see competition you know arising uh, more recently you know, these younger companies it really gives us confidence that uh, we are the leader in a space that's growing and that is a, a great feeling yeah and it, that that's what happening i read recently read the book blue ocean strategy right it kind of talks about the space the book. Not been, yeah not been exploited and you just explore you're still in the digital analytics, digital data management industry, but you're kind of creating your own blue ocean. It sounds like that's what John did. And then now we're getting more and more people into the space, but then you continue to find your blue ocean. So that's great. Uh, my next question is here, like I, I want to talk about, uh, I was spending time on the Observe Point website and you guys kind of talk about having a strong tagging strategy in the plan. Uh, in what do you, in your mind, like what are the key components of a robust analytics tagging plan? Like what is usually like when you talk to your customers uh, and you look at their plans and their strategy, what do you typically find that's missing? Yeah. When, I, when you say tagging plan, I, I think of two things, really. I think of one is actually the document, the tagging plan, um, kind of, you know, combined with its appendix, the SDR, for example. Um, then the other use of the word plan is literally what is your plan of action, right? And I think, you know, most cases, you know, those those two uses of the word or two uses of the phrase, they are very closely interlinked. But a strong tagging plan, firstly, the documentation is, you're really asking me what makes a good piece of documentation. <laughs> this may be bringing it back to more of a boring base, but, you know, we know that the tagging plan is the most important document that will instruct you know, future analysts and marketers on how to keep the website tagging correct and up to date. So the first thing about documentation is it's got to be up to date. You know, version control, um, basic things like that. Having a small number of editors, you know, the most experienced heads in your organization should be, be uh, the small number of editors keeping that document up to date. An important thing is to make sure everyone knows where it is and everyone remembers to refer to it when they need to like i have seen so many documents that have just gone to the confluence or sharepoint graveyard you know it, it's documents <laughs> yeah. go to die sometimes yeah again no disrespect <laughs> to uh to those uh knowledge bases yeah. um aside from the obvious you know a good tagging plan document should be able to define exactly which pages should have which tags 
um, what events should be mapped to which tags, you know, in case of an add to basket or a scroll down the page. Um, data layer mappings are often included. Yep. But one thing that, you know, I often see is missing. And this now goes... Today's show is sponsored by ObservePoint. That moment when executives, peers, competitors are questioning the data analysts and scientists' reports, their job and credibility are in question. ObservePoint gives data professional confidence in their data and insights by automatically auditing your data collection for errors across the entire website, testing your most important pages and user paths for functionality and accurate data collection, alerting you immediately when something goes wrong, tracking your data quality and QA process over time. You can request a demo at www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today to learn more about ObservePoint's full data governance capability. Again, that website is www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today. First, the document and also the action plan is how are we actually going to test that our plan is working correctly, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. About your development team who work on an agile basis, they will plan to do work in a sprint and then they've planned in, you know, probably a day or two at the end for the QA team to test the latest branch of their yep. code. Yep. Part of testing is part of the plan. The reason digital marketing and digital analytics is, you know, in, in such a, I guess, a high friction state at the moment is because so many years of legacy tags, uh, you know, across the world. It doesn't matter which market you're in, which industry, which vertical. Um, there is a lot of friction. It's called technical debt, right? Tech debt yep. has happened yep. because no one has planned to test for the last 20 years. I, I've been there before, and it's um, you you forget the value of your QA team. You know, you, yeah. you, you forget the value of what they do. And a lot of times you walk by their, their desks when you could go to the office and see the frustrations <laughs> from them. You know, and, yeah. and wondering why you still have legacy tags that are connected to tools that should have been pulled out of your your stack exactly. maybe like ten years ago. <laughs> uh, I was I was working with a client just today, and yeah. we were on the site. And um, does anybody remember a tag management system called Tag Manager? Yeah. Yes, they yeah. do. They they were <laughs> they were acquired eventually by Enciton. I don't know if it was an acquire, acquisition, or a merger. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I think yeah. it was right at the time we were at IBM. Yeah, well, what, year was, yeah. what year did that happen, right? Yeah, uh, 2014, 15. 15, yeah. yeah. Well, I was scanning a client's website today, and I saw the an original cool. <laughs> manager bootstrap, right? So it's that tech there. And you know, right now, there's a lot of change going on in the digital world. We're seeing consent management platforms popping up. We're seeing you know, change projects in general, and tech debt is slowing all of those down. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, because I was going to ask you, like, what happens if you don't have a stagging plan? So you kind of answered the question is, if you don't have a plan, then you're going to end up being um, a site with a large number of tags, and some of the tags have already deprecated, and you still have that on the site, and it's costing you it's costing you many things like, you know, one side is reducing the load time on your site because you have old tags and that's probably yeah. the calls are missing. The other side, you also are collecting all this data and sending the data to the third party. And so, so there's a privacy issue there because uh, you may be sending some uh, 
PII or important data that you should not be sending to people that you're not working with anymore. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We um, many sites like Audit have Google Plus on them still. Really nice. Yahoo, wow. Yahoo Analytics is one we see a lot. Uh, oh, what, I, I, what 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 is the oldest? Here's here's a funny one. What is the oldest version of IE? Some IE connector that you've seen. Um, so we scan websites, so we don't actually connect to different uh, browser versions. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say I think. The oldest one I've seen, I think it was like IE, I don't know, it was like IE5 or IE7. Can I, can I, uh, can I rephrase my answer? Yeah, what? go for it. <laughs> you know, right? It like Internet Explorer 5. Internet What's Explorer 7. IE? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, it, just for the people listening, we're, we're talking about Internet Explorer, something really old that's no longer even supported. I wonder by, if there's anyone listening yeah. who actually doesn't know what Internet Explorer is. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure there are folks in the audience who are not familiar with it because it's no longer is uh, a popular browser. It's it's for the old school. It's like for the old people. I mean, you're still young, Mike. We're old. <laughs> I was going to talk they about play, They should play your podcast in schools, and they definitely yeah. won't know what IE is, right? <laughs> right. Start talking about Netscape, right? But you never know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's funny. Like the Excite browser, and there was something else. You know, yeah, it's. Old days, right? Alta Vista. Yeah, I remember Alta Vista. Oh, oh Alta Vista. wow! I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Geos, yeah. GeoCities. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Geos. It's, so, uh, so carrying on the conversation, and one of the things that I noticed that uh, you guys talk a lot about uh, your Martech, uh, kind of migrating your Martech in four phases associated with that. And in that, uh, in that white paper, you specifically mention. Uh, testing the critical customer journey. Now, my question is, uh, customer journey, as we know, it's very important, right? And whenever uh, we work with clients or we're working with the existing companies uh, and new companies, it's all about how do I create that right customer journey? How do I move customers from one point to the uh, point B and the next specs action is for the customer journey? How does Observe Point help with testing and comparison of these journeys? Yeah, so when we talk about customer journeys and talk about key customer journeys, we're talking about really the most key one is the ultimate goal of your website. Is it driving revenue or you know, is it driving a lead generation or signups for a newsletter? Um, and you know, working with our customers, we expect our customers to have already defined those uh, key user journeys. Um, you know, most of the enterprises we work with, they will already have defined those. Um, when it comes to testing them, the whole point of your your ad analytics setups is to track those key user journeys. So ObservePoint helps here by actually checking the quality of your tracking on those key user journeys. And the way we do that is actually ObservePoint allows you to set up uh, automation testing scripts um, using, well, we've got a, another Google Chrome extension, which is kind of a WYSIWYG. You know, what you see is what you get visual uh, web journey recorder. Um, we've also got the power user way, which I is uh, what I use most of the time, and that's pure JavaScript. So you can just write JavaScript to instruct the browser to do stuff. So typically for an e-commerce client, it might be, you know, land on the homepage, uh, enter a search term, click on the first search result, add to basket, continue to checkout. We can instruct ObservePoint to do all that. Uh, in the staging environment, we can also complete the checkout. And thus we can see actually all of the key tracking events 
throughout the flow, including you know the on-site search, including the add to basket, including the order confirmation page itself. So that gives our clients the confidence that you know their tracking is working correctly, which means their numbers, the you know the stats are correct, and then their reporting is correct and safe to make decisions from. So if I'm a client and if I have Observe Point, right? Uh, and I want to test a specific e-commerce journey. I'm going to take e-commerce because I know that e-commerce is a is a hot topic these days, and a lot of people want to invest in already companies using e-commerce. So let's say if I have Observe Point and I want to test a new e-commerce journey that I've created, uh, will will the Observe Point platform show me kind of visually uh, what's missing, like what events or data events are missing, or what tags are not firing correctly? Or will I get like some type of a graphical interface where I can quickly understand what's missing so I can go ask my guys to fix it? Yeah, so in what, what happens in the ObservePoint platform is that you actually define uh, your data quality acceptance criteria. So huh, cool. um, it, it's kind of a, a mapping of your SDR, essentially. We call them data quality rules. And you can apply rules to any given step in these uh, critical journeys. So I might say, on the final step, the order confirmation page, I need uh, Adobe Analytics to be available and I need the events to say SC checkout, right? And then there's actually an alerting system. So if for some reason SC checkout isn't contained within the event string, it'll actually send you an email alert or a Slack or a Jira or a Microsoft Teams. There's a, you know, multiple ways that we can alert you if and when anything goes wrong, but it stays silent if nothing goes wrong at all. Very cool. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Cool. So let me uh, jump to the next one. Um, so we're talking about, you know, everybody knows that privacy is a hot topic. You know, um, these days, every site that you go to has a little, you know, naming or the little yeah. script at the bottom talking about privacy. And, you know, speaking from experience, most organizations, you know, take it lightly just to satisfy the, you know, the minimal needs of GDPR, CCPA and similar laws. So for your role, in, in, in your field, in your experience, right? How should a data analyst or a marketer listening, what do you think should be their approach to user privacy? I mean, how seriously should they take this and what should they do to really, if so, what should they do to really build up on their knowledge about this? Yeah, so what I've seen is obviously analysts and marketers are very concerned about potentially the, the opt-out rates and the loss of data. Um, but I think it's important to take a step back and look at the actual big picture here. It's it's not just about, I can't do my role like I used to. It's more about, you know, firstly, true data privacy, but also it's about your know, potentially large fines for your organization and reputational damage for your organization. So we have to step back from the, I need my data because <laughs> yeah. my data and actually work more collaboratively with our business stakeholders, our, our legal team and our, you know, technology teams and actually definitely advocate for the marketing side of things and say, you know, without this technology or without this tag, you know, we won't be able to retarget or something like that. And as long as there's a healthy collaborative tension on all of the different requirements from the different stakeholders, uh, you know, a solid, um, you know, middle ground should be reached, a middle ground where the legal requirements for your organization are met in mm -hmm. jurisdiction, but you are able to change your ways of working and still effectively you know, market your products. Yeah. So I would say keep an open mind and uh, be collaborative with your legal teams. Interesting. Okay. And so along those lines, right? So along those lines of user privacy, right? Consent preference centers, they're really gaining popularity. 
So, yeah. you know, you always see that we talked about at the bottom, the accept, decline, the cookies as the default for most of these websites. And hopefully if you see a website without that, you got to kind of question why you're there. So, yeah. <laughs> but so for, for observe point, so what does observe point consent preference center do beyond just traditional accept and decline? Is there yeah. something a little bit different and, and what can people learn from that? So we don't actually provide the accept and decline functionality. What we do in line of our digital marketing QA is we actually help organizations check the quality of their cookie consent management platforms. So, you know, I, I like to boil it down to very simple terms. Firstly, is your CMP there? You know, if it's not on every page, then that means a customer could arrive on the page and not be given the option, right? Secondly, does it work? I've seen you know, many implementations where I opt out of cookies, but all the cookies and all the tags are still there. So they've paid yeah. technology and it doesn't, they've implemented it wrong and it doesn't do anything. So they're still at risk and they've spent money. So that, that's the worst case. That's what's about. <laughs> so ObservePoint allows our customers to frequently, automatically, and scalably check that their CMPs are working just in the same way we can check that digital marketing technologies are working. Yeah, it's, it's it's so basically let's say to Jeremy's point right let's say if I have a setup on the website which is basically the traditional I would call it traditional because I think it's becoming old now the accept and decline cookie preferences but then now also there are technologies that are providing more advanced uh, pref consumer consent preference center where you consumers can actually go to a specific page and select their preferences. I know some websites are starting to do that. Most of them are still using the accept and decline. Do you guys actually go and test? Let's say if I have five or six preferences for the consumers, you know, one of them could be how frequently uh, you, you wanna uh, hear from us. And one of the other one could be, uh, do you want us to uh, email you in a specific format or specific time and day? They're getting really advanced. Do you guys go and work with other consent and preference centers to kind of establish some type of a, a partnership where you can check if specific events are firing when these consumers are answering those questions or, or it's, it's just plain simple checking the tags are in place? Well, well, firstly, I'd be surprised if people were accepting, you know, marketing at a certain time of day, but not at another time of day. Um, <laughs> is capable of um, essentially going through all the permutations of your different, you know, opt-in options. So we know, for example, uh, OneTrust has seven different categories. So ObservePoint could actually be, you know, scripted to go through each permutation of the seven. Um, you know, we are, as I said, John is you know, just a great, you know, great value add to our company. So he really can open doors and help us, you know, start building partnerships with all the large tech organizations in the space. Very cool. Got it. Okay, very good. Uh, well, let's let's put you on the <laughs> let's put you on the uh, frontier. Like, in, my question is, what can you share with our listeners that you have never shared before uh, on any podcast or media channel? So, <laughs> and this could be something fun, goofy. This maybe could be some advice um, that you give. You know? Um, yeah. Um, I think a piece of advice for me would be that you know. Anyone can be, well, most people can be, you know, taught and given training courses on very technical skill sets. You know, Python, R, you can sign up for those courses online. Many of them are free or low cost. I think the most important thing, the most important skill that's been really good for me for my career is communication. 
is the ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand what the motivations are, you know, what, what acronyms are they going to understand? You know, if you're yeah. talking to a chief revenue officer, don't talk about CRO, right? If you're talking to a, uh, a QA tester, don't talk about testing, right? So communication and that empathy to, uh, you know, to empathize with whoever you're communicating to is, I would say, the really most powerful skill. And, you know, it, it takes two to communicate, but it only takes one to miscommunicate, right? Think about I like that. that. I like that. So in the, in the I, absence, I, on a purely statistical model, miscommunications would happen twice as frequently. I completely agree. And I think for me, one of those things, the way I could even translate that in the real world is, is, you know, when you, when you talk about being able to, to communicate a lot of that way, I translate that to is storytelling. And if you are a storyteller in the analytics world, holy crap, you got a great career in front of you because it's easy to create a data slide to be able to show a graphic and to be able to show ebbs and flows and all this other stuff. Rather than just pointing at the slide and saying, wow, look at this, <laughs> you know, because I've been in those meetings yeah. before, it's tell me about it, you know, explain yeah. to me what's going on here. T- tell me, what should I learn from it? You know, what are the insights? And I think that's really also a matter of communication. You'll have yep. different people in a room speaking different languages and not, I'm not saying, you know, Spanish versus English versus Mandarin yeah. or something like that, but they all speak different things some speak qualitative spun some speak quantitative you know yeah. you got to be able to learn how to speak to them so i'm sure you've seen that in your world i have a, i have a great story so earlier in my career i was a digital analyst at a, at a grocery store uh, online groceries in the uk nice. and, um i was presenting uh, to a meeting um which contained you know, managers from various different teams including online but also operations and so i about half an hour into my presentation, I had been talking about traffic, right? And I was talking, of course, about web traffic. <laughs> but about half an hour into my presentation, um, a, um, a lady, uh, bless her soul, from operations, um, you know, finally had the coach of speaker and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand why the traffic has anything to do with, you know, with operations online. <laughs> and then it was only then that it rammed home to me the importance of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, right? Because of course she was thinking from a, you know, cars and vans perspective of traffic. So, you know, that gets, I'm not laughing at her. I'm laughing at the situation. It's the situation, yeah, right? Yeah. It's again, like, you know, essentially she might've been the only one who's brave enough to speak up. Who knows how many in the audience had just had half an hour wasted listening to me because they didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, I, that's awesome. Yeah, it no, I was gonna say like it's it's interesting like how when you, it, you like you said, Mike, it's important for us to be able to communicate with people more clearly. And the most important part about the communication is to be listened to them, right? Understand yes. what they're saying. Generally, what tends to happen in the digital world, uh, people who have uh, the experience, they have the expertise they tend to provide a solution too quickly. And that's the reason why we have so many different marketing and sales platform today, because people are coming up with the solution without actually understanding the problem. And then at the end of the day, the companies, they pile up a lot of junk and eventually it becomes a part of your technical debt. I like what you said about being able to relate to people, being able to empathize with them, understand their problem. 
before getting into a proposal of providing a solution, maybe a digital technology or a data solution. So I really like that. Now we're coming to an end of the podcast. So I want to ask you, Mike, if you have anything specific that you want to share uh, at the end here, that any advice that you want to give, uh, or maybe make any references, any website that people should go check out? Um, advice? No, I, I really think my uh, the communication piece was the, was the advice here. I think if I was you're back, going back to your question at the start of the uh, of you know this episode, you know what makes a good solutions engineer? Um, mm-hmm. You know, me, you mentioned storytelling, and you know wrapping it all together. I think back to a situation where I was communicating, I was actually um, working on the Adobe implementation for the Android application. So we were, ah, cool. essentially, I was working with a team of developers who had never used the uh, Adobe Analytics SDK before. Hmm. Um, I had never worked with Android before. So there was a really, really serious communication gap. So I had to really quickly upskill so that I could talk, speak their language. Uh, otherwise, it would have just been like, you know, I don't know, a, a penguin talking to a duck. <laughs> no, I, I think I yeah, think that's I a think, big thing. It's it's being able yeah. to to break down something that's very complex into something yeah. that's digestible and easy to understand and translate. Exactly. Exactly. That, that that's so been for, the hardest part for my career. So yeah. So I would say for solutions engineering, it's the skill of storytelling and communication, but to have the the breadth of knowledge to be able to just about understand what someone else is saying but not be able to do their job and replace them. I like that. Yeah. It's same here. Yeah. You got to be able to, you got to be able to speak different languages without really being fluent. You just got to be exactly. able to kind of understand everybody in the room. Yeah. Exactly. I like that. Very cool stuff. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. This has been fun. Um, you know, it, it's always great to have somebody like you on the podcast to really share your experience and your knowledge and especially your journey, you know, with us, because, you know, Everybody out there is looking for what is their career move? Where do they want to go? And I I will throw down for saying a solutions engineer slash solutions consultant is a great co- a great career, great job. Um, it's a great it's, path to go down. It's fun. You know, it's something yeah. new. It's like uh, if you're into Legos and puzzle pieces and trying to figure out how things work and and put it all together, it's it could be up your alley, you know? Yeah. Fantastic. So, Samir, anything else to add before we close out? No, no, this is great. I, I agree with Jeremy. It's been fantastic, Mike, and we would like to hopefully bring you some time again in the near future. I think yeah, our absolutely. audience would love to. Right. Yeah, we're fun like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks again, guys, and thank you for audience. And 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 please, uh, we've had a, recently a, a big surge of people reaching out to us to join our podcast, join the episode, and also be able to recommend uh, people to join. And this has been absolutely fantastic. So we've got a great lineup um, coming up already. So uh, thank you again. You can always uh, find us on analytictodaypodcast.com. If anything, thank you, Mike. Uh, Samir, it's always been fantastic. And uh, we'll see you guys in the air. Thank you very much, both.